Understanding what is going on. Be slow in decision making. A fool answers a matter before they hear it. You want to make sure you know what you're getting into before you get into it. Jesus talked about counting the cost. And I know, listen, I know we live in a world, things are quick, things are happening quick, but don't make a bad decision by not being thorough in what you're doing. No matter how mild mannered a person you are, anger bubbles up in all of us. If you have a hair-trigger response to others who rile you up, it's probably the wrong reaction. As Pastor Daniel teaches today, usually the right response comes after thoughtful consideration. When you react from your flesh, a bad situation can only grow worse, like a cancer fed by anger and rage. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 34, verse 13, with his continuing study entitled, The Dinah Incident. I pray that as followers of Jesus that we always remember that. That no matter what someone has done, God's grace is available to them if they will own what they've done and ask God for forgiveness. There is no sin, there is no sin that is too great that God cannot forgive him, except, of course, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is not believing in Jesus. That's the only one. The person who refuses to come to Jesus cannot be forgiven. But no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how awful your rap sheet looks, you have grace in Jesus if you will come to him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So he wants grace. And notice in verse 12, he says, I'll pay you whatever you ask. No dowry will be too great. I mean, this is how much he wants to marry Dinah. No, whatever you ask, I'll pay. Whatever you ask. So look what happens. Verse 13. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. So you see where this is going. They respond, but they're responding deceitfully. Look at what they say, verse 14. And they said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. And on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us. And we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you do not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. So you, you see what these guys do. They're being deceitful. We know that from the beginning. But he's, what they do is they start talking spiritual stuff. This is classic spiritual manipulation. Where they're using something that God has asked them in a way that God has never intended. They have a plan about this, but there's no way we can marry you because you got to be circumcised. You got to be circumcised. And I think we need to be careful because 
I've been around the church long enough when you meet somebody and they're like, oh, you know, my, my husband won't help get the kids out the door for school because he needs to have his quiet time. So what you're saying is, is that a man is using his quiet time not to serve his family. Yeah. If we're honest with ourselves, we do this, don't we? We, we use Jesus as a barrier to be Christ-like. And we have to be careful of this. We have to be careful to, how many times you have a great need and you're like, hey, we have a need. I'll pray about it. So often Christians use prayer as an opportunity not to have to do something they don't want to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about things. But so often we pray. We know we're not going to pray. We just don't want to have to do it. Right? I mean, let's be honest. We, it's so easy to use Bibleese, Christianese, Christianly things as an opportunity not to have to actually be Christ-like. I hate saying it, but I, I see that in my own heart. And I'm just assuming that we're all in the same boat with that stuff, especially if you know your Bible really well. The Pharisees did it. They knew the Bible really well. Remember, Jesus gave them a hard time because they're saying, oh, you know, you tell these people that they don't have to take care of their parents when they're older because they promised that money to the Lord. Do you remember that, the whole Corbin thing? He's saying, look, you've annulled God's heart by making people take vows for things when that money should be helping their parents. And it's so easy for us to do that. It's so easy for us to use something that's good in a way that God doesn't intend. When someone has a really legitimate need, let me, well, you know, let me pray about that. And I'll get back to you. And most often, you don't pray about it, you don't get back to them. So you use prayer as, a, as, as an arm to keep somebody away. To keep God's will away. And that's exactly what they're doing here. They're saying, look, we can't do it. You all have to be circumcised. For all the guys in here, all the guys just cross their legs like, mm. I mean, can you imagine there, Hamar and Shechem? They're just like, okay, the only way we can do it is if all the men get circumcised. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Okay. And he says, if you do it, we can do what you're asking. But if not, we're out. So you're either in or you're out. All the guys get circumcised. We can intermarry. We can do, we can do trading and we can make money, all this stuff. But if not, we're out of here. Make your choice. Look at what happens. In verse 18, and their words pleased Hamor and Shechem. Now, that's one of the most bewildering sentences in the Bible, according to me. I mean, like, can you go, I mean, sometimes you read the Bible and you got to think to yourself, this is crazy. I mean, can you imagine Hamor and Shechem? Sounds great. Let's get this circumcision party on. Who's got a flint? Let's do this. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, ah, But as I always say, I didn't write it. I'm just here to tell you, help explain it to you. It's a very strange verse. Very strange. You're all thinking to yourselves, thank God I wasn't born a a Hivite. You know, this is bad. Very bad. Notice what happens in verse 19. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. So Hamor and Shechem, they're excited about this. And Shechem goes right out and gets circumcised. I mean, that's what it says. It'd be the equivalent of a guy asking a girl to get married. 
and going right to the courthouse to try and sign some marriage certificate. Just like impetuous, let's do this. But it's interesting that it says he was more honorable than the rest of his father's house. Wow. Could it be that Shechem in his love, although he made total mistakes, really, really wanted to honor Dinah at this point? It's a fascinating verse given the context where it comes in. It's more honorable. Look at what happens. In verse 20, And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city, and they spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Verse 23, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal be theirs, of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded him more and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now you notice this. When Hamor and Shechem go to talk to the men of the city, they happen to leave out why this is all happening. Notice that. They don't say, listen, Shechem did this. The only way he can marry is because of this. Now, what this teaches us is that we have to make sure we don't make decisions based on faulty assumptions. The men of the city don't even realize what's really going on. And they actually do a great job selling it. They're like, look, if we get circumcised, isn't all their livestock going to be ours? I mean, he's saying, look, this is a great business opportunity. If we do this thing, look at all they have. Don't you think that's going to be ours? We get to marry their daughters. We're going to marry ours. We're going to end up getting all their stuff. So what this teaches is we want to make sure that we are diligent in understanding what is going on. Be slow in decision-making. A fool answers a matter before they hear it. You want to make sure you know what you're getting into before you get into it. Jesus talked about counting the cost. And I know, listen, I know we live in a world, things are quick, things are happening quick, but don't make a bad decision by not being thorough in what you're doing. What is going on? I mean, it's interesting because according to this, nobody asks even a question. They all say, okay, let's do it. And we find out at the end of this section, in verse 24, that all who went out of the gate of the city heeded him more and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. And all I can say to that is, ouch. Verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. And the son of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys. What was in the city and what was in the field and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Wow. So they waited until the third day. Now you have to remember, this is before there was modern medicine. 
And according to rabbinical teachings, the third day was when it hurt the most, which I can't even fathom because I imagine it hurt a lot from the beginning. But on the third, and you guys know it, sometimes when you get scraped up really good, it's not as bad the first day because things are, you know, you're, everything's trying to get settled, but it's on the second and third day that when you're getting healed up, it really starts to feel uncomfortable. So they waited until the pain was the worst. And what did they do? They came boldly. They came with a sword and they killed all the men and they plundered. They took everything, every wife. It's awful when you think about it. I mean, these guys are in bed, in fetal position, not wanting to move. And these guys come in with swords. I mean, it's total treachery, total deceitfulness. They were never going to marry, intermarry with the Hivites, ever. They did it. They knew that they'd be compromised. And they went on in and they raped the city. They killed every man. They stole everything. They took it all. And I think what's important is, I realize that we live in a dog-eat-dog kind of a world. But this is all just wrong, isn't it? What Shechem did was wrong. What the sons of Jacob did were worse. They proved once again why the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, of course, we know in, in pop culture, you know, uh, Gandhi was purported to have said an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And the reality is, is the reason that's in the Bible is because God knows that mankind has a penchant for escalation. You take my eye, I'll take off your head. You hurt my hand, I'll cut off your arm. That's the way the fallen heart of humanity works. So in saying that, it's not saying that we should take an eye for an eye. It's just saying, don't let things escalate. We shouldn't be escalators. No one laughed at that. I can't believe that. Someone later will be like, oh, I shouldn't be escalators. Yeah. It makes me think all of this. It makes me think of Romans chapter 12. In verse 19, it said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, Jesus taught this. Jesus taught that... Seeing violence with violence only perpetuates violence. And that the people of God should seek to bless our enemies. Do good by... I know it's illogical, and I even say it, and there's a part of me that says, no. But Jesus says, yes. The cycle of violence should stop with the Christian. I, I, you know, I think about... Remember when they... The, the Amish, a man went into uh, an Amish school and started shooting people. Do you remember that? The testimony of the Amish people who lost loved ones was so convicting because what they did was they started to go visit the wife and kids of the man who killed them and started to take care of them because they read their Bibles and rather than reasoning it away, they said, hey, I'm going to live out what Jesus said. And they've realized that the wife and the children of this man who committed this atrocity were just as much victims as they were. So they decided they were going to love instead of hate. That they were going to respond with good rather than evil. 
And what I find in my own heart is that that is radically challenging because I really do want to respond in kind or worse. But instead of responding to evil with evil, let us respond to evil with good. You know why? Because that's what my Bible says. Whether or not I like it, whether or not I think it's possible, what I do know is that the alternative doesn't work. And in 21st century America, looking at what's going on with our government and wars all over the place, we're learning that, aren't we? We're le- what good is it is they killed our people, we'll kill their people? I mean, what does it really get us except more broken families? And not just our own families, but the families of everybody on the globe. What does it really get us? And let me say this. I don't expect people outside of the church to think that this is right. Because only the Spirit of God will tell us that this is the way it ought to be. And we need to ask God for the grace to get in step with Him. When someone does evil by us, we do good by them. When someone curses us, we turn around and bless them. When someone says, I hate you, we say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Is there any way I can serve you? That's the teachings of Jesus. That's the teachings of the Apostle Paul. God help us that we take a step of faith and see if there is a way that we can redeem violence with love. Would to God, would to God that by His Spirit we can learn how to be those blessed peacemakers that Jesus spoke of. That we can be truly like Jesus. You know, and I realize that there's a million, well, what about this? What about this? And what do we do with this? I realize that. But as a baseline, we need to start with the teachings of Jesus, not what comes natural to our own hearts. For most of us, we start with the teaching of our our own hearts, and maybe if we're lucky, we make it around to the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus teaches us a more excellent way, the way of love, the way of kindness, charity, joy, and peace. Let us not return evil for evil. Let us return good for evil. This chapter closes in verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather together Together against me and kill me, I shall be destroyed, my household denied. But they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? What's fascinating, Jacob's response seems to be he's more concerned with his reputation than anything else. All these people are going to think I'm obnoxious, I'm repulsive, I'm abhorrent. And they're all going to come and they're going to kill. So his concern is for his reputation. His brothers say, Dad, what they did to our sister was wrong. They raped her and they wanted to pay us off as prostitution. That's what he's saying. And so this scene ends with Jacob's fear of being hurt and the brothers being like, Dad, how can they treat our sister like a prostitute? And that's where it ends. It's another one of those places in the Bible where we don't find out, well, what's the right way? What's God's heart? What would have been the right way? We don't know. It doesn't say. But I want to zoom out for a second and give you, from Genesis to Revelation, what's the implications of this? Think about this. 
We've been talking all the way through Genesis about the primacy of the firstborn, remember? Now, if you think about this, all the way through, the firstborn, according to their culture, would have received the blessings. And we've seen this subverted every time. Ishmael was born first, but Isaac was the son of promise. Esau was born first, but Jacob was the son of promise. And you would think that Jacob's firstborn should have been the blessed one. Now, what's interesting and what you find out is that Jacob's firstborn son was Reuben. We're going to find in the next chapter in Genesis 35, 22, that Reuben actually slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. Right? So he makes a mistake. Then you get Simeon and Levi, the second and third sons of Jacob in the Dinah incident. Do you know who the fourth son was? Judah. Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. Who comes from the lineage of Judah, the fourth son? Jesus. So we find, in a sense, Reuben's mistake with Bilhah loses it. Simeon and Levi in the Dinah incident. Big blunder. The Son of God comes through the line of Judah. What this teaches us is this. Although there is grace, sin still has consequences. That's what it teaches us. Though there is grace, sin still has consequences. And that is why we don't sin that grace may abound, but we have to be able to own the consequences of our actions. God will still forgive us. I mean, I always think about that movie, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where, where that one guy gets saved and, you know, they, they broke out of jail and um, it's all forgiven, you know? It's like they're not looking for me anymore. And they're like, no, no, no. You and God may be good, but you and the authorities, they're still looking for you. And the reality is, is that is the way it plays out in, in the real world with God. Although God's grace is enough, we still have consequences for our actions. And that is why, as a final exhortation, let's take responsibility for our lives. And brothers and sisters, you can't redo yesterday. You can't redo five years ago or five minutes ago. But you do have responsibility by the Spirit of God for everything that happens from this moment forward. So let's own it. And let's live it for God's glory. We can't change the past, but we do have control over what happens next. And if there are things that we are doing that are reaping consequences negatively, then say, Lord, help me and turn to your brother, your sister, somebody you know and say, will you pray with me and encourage me that I may stop doing what I am doing that has negative consequences because I want to go forward with what God has for me. And Lord, forgive me for my mistakes. And Lord, lead me the way of everlasting. Lead me into a more glorious future that, yes, there's going to be still some consequences for what I've done. But Lord, I know you have a new thing that you want to do. And Lord, I can't change what I've done, but I do have control over what I'm going to do next. So grace is there. But let's not forget that our mistakes have consequences. Jesus is In today's message, we heard Dinah's brothers did not react to the situation in a godly way. As Pastor Daniel explained, it's illogical, but we should react with grace when it comes to our enemies. The cycle of violence should stop with the Christian. Our reactions are a testimony. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. 
We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when we find Jacob telling his household to put away their idols. Pastor Daniel will challenge us to examine our own lives in order to eliminate the idols in our own hearts. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled Brothers. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real.